Okay, good evening, everybody. So, uh, we originally sent out the class, we were going to talk about the Bikurim, and we were talking about Rosh Hashanah, and we were talking about being uh, happy with what you have. And then what happened was we set up this week, thanks to uh, our friends at Torah Anytime and uh, Jewish Podcast, we set up a podcast. So when I, we set up the podcast, I realized that, uh, that we actually had those classes already done. So I decided to work on a new class, and uh, uh, with the help of uh, everybody in the synagogue on Saturday night, we explored a, a new subject relating to this perasha, relating to the holidays, and we're going we're gonna to touch on that. So for the other two classes now, you, if everybody has a podcast, you can uh, go to your Apple podcast or your, what other ones are there? Spotify, Amazon, and just search for David Beebe and you get this pretty picture of me that Mariah took. <laughs> uh, hold on, just letting people in. Okay, so yeah, like I said, so you have actually two classes we posted on Kitavo already on the podcast. And, uh, and uh, so we're going to explore this subject tonight. So uh, this class uh, tonight for 5781, it's based on the Zohar Kadosh, it's based on Rabbeinu Bachia, it's based on Sephorno, it's based on Megale Amukot, and mostly it's based on Rav Pinchas Friedman, who has this amazing ability to bring all these uh, sources together. So we read in this week's Perashah, you have the the blessings and the curses. One of the the most amazing blessings, when we think about it, is a pasuk that says, Vera'u kol ame'aretz. And all of the people of the land, all of the nations of the land, they're going to see, Kishem Adonai Nikra Alecha, that the name of God is called upon you. And they're going to be in awe of you, afraid of you. The rabbis bring from here, the, the story, basically, the first story they bring is from the Gemara and Yoma. And the Gemara and Yomah tells the story, it was the 25th day of Tevet. And it's interesting, the Gemara says that the 25th day of Tevet, and Tevet is generally a month that uh, we, don't, uh, we don't celebrate much. And uh, the rabbis bring the 25th day of Tevet, it became a holiday, known as the day of the Chag of Har Gerizim. And it was established as a joyful day, says the Gemara, and no eulogizing was permitted on that day. What happened on that day? It was on the day the, the Samaritans, the Kutim, requested from Alexander the Great for permission to destroy the Bet HaMikdash, and his permission was given. So people came, and they told the Kohen Gadol, the Kohen Gadol at the time was Shimona Sadiq. What did he do? Shimona Sadiq put on his priestly vestments, and it says he, Lehaniach, he, he, he wrapped himself in his priestly garbs. There's a question, though, does a Kohen and a Kohen Gadol wear tefillin? And the Brayta seems to suggest that the Kohen Gadol, he wears tefillin, and it would go between his hat and the, the seats. And the tefillin would be there, and the tefillin would be visible. And it's important that the tefillin shel rosh is visible. And uh, so what happens was, was that uh, he, comes, he comes all dressed up in the, the garments of the Kohen Gadol. It's questioned if he... Was, uh, was allowed to do, the, the Gemara argues it, but he comes out dressed in the garments of the Kohen Gadol and with his tefillin on his head. And what happens is that the, the, the people of, uh, the Jewish people came with him 
and they traveled all night in order to meet Alexander. Alexander was coming the other direction. He also traveled all night, and with him was his own armies and the Kutim, the Samaritans. When dawn arrived, Alexander the Great said to the Samaritans, when he saw this number of people coming towards him, who are they? And the Kutim told Alexander the Great, these are the Jews, and they have rebelled against you. Alexander reached this place called Antipatris. The sun was shining, and that's where the two camps met each other. Alexander the Great sees Shimon HaSadiq dressed up in his outfit of the Kohen Gadol. He gets off of his chariot. He bows down to Shimon HaSadiq, and his escorts get crazy. Say, Alexander, you're, you're basically the king of the world. How can you bow down to this Jew? And Alexander the Great said to them, I do this because the image of this man's face I see on the battlefield. As I enter to go fight, I see his image before me as a sign of victory. Therefore, I know that he has supreme sanctity. And he said to the representatives of the Jewish people, Why have you come? And they said, Is it possible that the temple, the Bet HaMikdash, the house in which we pray for you and for your kingdom... We pray always that it, that it be blessed and not destroyed. And you're going to destroy it? And how could we remain silent and not tell you? He said to the Jewish people, who wants to destroy it? He said, these people, these Samaritans, the Kutim. And he said, if so, do what you want with them. And the Gemara goes into some gory details of how, how the Jewish people killed them. And... Uh, and then it says that they went to the Har Gerizim, where the Samaritans had their temple. They destroyed it. They plowed over it. They seeded it with leek, a symbol of, a symbol of total destruction. And this was what the Samaritans wanted to do to Bet HaMikdash. It ended up happening to them. Another story, again, on the simplest level, relating to this verse. So this verse says the, the Goyim are going to see you, and they're going to have this fear of you and respect of you. You're up. It happened once that the Vilna Gaon, he's sitting wearing his tefillin, he's wearing his talet, he's studying Torah. Now thieves heard that there was gold and silver in the apartment of the Vilna Gaon. They entered the, the apartment and they demanded the gold and silver from the pupils of the Vilna Gaon. And they said to the thieves, hey, we have no gold, we have no silver here. And the thieves didn't know there was a Torah there, not gold and silver. The pupils began to shout. The Vilna Gaon came out, wearing his tefillin, wearing his talit. The thieves saw him. They ran away. The pupils said to the Vilna Gaon, We were also wearing a talit and tefillin. Why aren't they afraid of us? And the Vilna Gaon said, he quoted the, the verse, he says, It's tefillin shebarosh. It's not only on your head, but inside your head. Also, when B'nai Israel go into battle, we see this time and again, almost in an irrational and miraculous way. On the simplest level, we see, for example, how the Navi tells us Gidon. He was going to go into battle with so many soldiers, and Hashem kept cutting it down. He ends up going into battle with 300 soldiers, and basically, they bang on some pots and pans, and they win this miraculous victory against a huge, huge army. We also could look at, it as, at Israel in, in our own lifetime. I remember Rabbi Abitan always used to like to talk about this one victory in the Six-Day War. This was his favorite story, I think, from the Six-Day War. He would talk about the rabbi of the army. His name was Shlomo Gorin. He was the chief rabbi of the army. 
And the day after we got back the Kotel Hamaravi, the day after Rabbi Gorin blew the shofar there, what happened was they went in to go into uh, Hebron. So Rabbi Gorin had a very busy week. The next day, he was going to go south to meet the army. They were going to go take over Bethlehem, Hebron, Gush Etzion. What happens is this crazy story. It says that he writes in his autobiography that the next morning he got up and he assumed he was late and the army had already left. And what happened is he takes his driver and he starts to drive to catch the army in Hebron. He didn't realize the army had taken a different route. Unwittingly, Goran and his driver arrived alone into what was then enemy territory. They drove in, imagine, one jeep, the rabbi and the driver, driving to, through Hebron. And out of every window, they hung white sheets as a sign of surrender from the windows and the rooftops. Literally, he completely defeated the city of Hebron alone. And we have to remember something about Hebron. We think that between 1948 and 1967, that's when it was restricted. But we have to realize that even before 1948, the Arabs barred the Jews from entering into Marat HaMachpelah. They barred us from entering into the cave where, where Abraham, Yitzhak, Yaakov are buried and their wives. And the banning of Jews to Marat HaMachpelah dates back 700 years to the Marmalukes in 1267. Every once in a while, you were able to bribe somebody to take you there. And even when you were taken there, the furthest you could go is what they called the seventh step. It was on a staircase leading into the, the burial cave that was built by Herod. And that was as far as you went. Today, more than 700,000 tourists visit Hebron every year. They can still see the bullet holes on one of the entrances of the Maran HaMachpelah, where Gorin attempted to enter. What did he have to do in order to be able to go in? He had his driver attach chains to the Jeep from the doors, and he yanked the doors out. A victory by one rabbi and his driver of a whole city. This is, they're going to see Hashem on you, and they're going to fear you. I also saw another story from the Six-Day War. Israel, a story from a cab driver, a simple cab driver, tells a story. He was drafted to fight in the Six-Day War. He was a paratrooper, but what happened was he didn't have to jump out of a plane to land. He said what happened was Egypt already uh, stopped and they, they landed in the airport like tourists. The Egyptian regiment, which was on guard, fled before the Israeli, the, the Israeli the planes were even visible. After landing, he was sent with another soldier, an electrician, to patrol the area. They were about two kilometers, and they spot an Egyptian half-track, one of these trucks that is sort of a cross between a, a, a jeep and a, a tank. And the truck had outside it machine guns on both sides. They had two guns and only a few bullets between the two of them. And they're standing there in front of this thing, an armored vehicle with 18 soldiers inside it. They couldn't stop the truck even if they wanted to stop it. And they just stood there and said, what are we going to do? They waited and they aimed their guns as if, and waited for the shots to come at them. But no shots came. The truck came to a halt and they decide to approach it. They find 18 armed soldiers sitting inside the truck. 
guns in their hands, but they're petrified. They looked at us, he said, with great, great fear, as though begging for mercy. So what did he do? He said, hands up! 18 guys dropped their guns, pick up their hands to these two Israeli soldiers. When he was walking back, he said in Arabic to one of the soldiers, I don't understand. Why did you shoot us? And the soldier said, I have to tell you, I have no idea. My arm froze. My whole body became paralyzed. I have no idea why. I couldn't do a thing if I wanted to. And these soldiers didn't know anything. So he says, how can, Hashem, how can anyone say that it wasn't Hashem? How can anyone say that it's not miraculous? That it's actually not the blessing that's given to us in this parasha. Last story and then we'll go right to your class. During the Yom Kippur War, there were just as many, if not more, miraculous victories, which made little sense. A small, impossibly outnumbered Israeli force held back a large portion of the Syrian army for four days in the Golan Heights. When you hear the stories, it's crazy. The Syrians were armed with hundreds of tanks, but they gave the Israeli forces a full sense of security. They only showed them a few at a time, and they did this for months. If this attack was successful, the Syrians could have taken Israel. They had stationed there three infantry divisions and over 1,000 tanks. At one point it was said that just three Israeli tanks stood against 150 Syrian tanks. There's a book by Rabbi Sabato that he tells what happened to him personally. A sergeant out of shells, he wanted to leave his position. He has his tank, he has no shells, he can't do anything. There's no ammunition, what's he going to do? He's sitting duck, and they ordered him to stay where he was. And then what happened? The Syrians retreated. Just when the Israeli force was on the verge of collapse, the Syrian tanks went. They thought that maybe the, the, the Israelis were drawing them in. And what happened? Again, when they asked the Syrians who they captured, what happened? The Syrian soldiers swore that they saw an army of angels surrounding those tanks. And considering the rate of miracles surrounding the small country of Israel, that could truly be what happened in this place called the Valley of Tears. So let's go beyond these simple stories about winning in war, winning, in, winning anywhere else, having the goyim afraid. Let's, let's look at what really is going on in this parasha. Rabbeinu Bachia says, All the people of the world will see that the name of Hashem is called upon you. They're going to be afraid of you. And he says, if someone is a servant of the king and someone else is just a servant of a minister, the servant of the minister is going to be very afraid. Even the minister is afraid of the servant of the king because the servant of the king has access to the deepest, darkest places. He's the one who's totally connected to the king. This is a subject that's discussed by Al Pasuk. The nations of the world may be servants of the ministers, worshipping the, the sun, the moon, or whatever else, says Rabbeinu Bachya. He says, but we have our relationship with Hashem. And since they realize that our relationship is directly with the ruler of the world, they're going to be in more awe. We're going to go into Rabbeinu Bachya because really he, he takes this whole concept and he crystallizes for us. But first, let's jump to the Gemara says, what's going on here? What are they actually going to see that's going to cause them to be afraid? It says in the Gemara, in Menachot, Amar Rabbi Eliezer, Elu tefilin shebarosh. Rabbi Eliezer says, what are they going to see? The tefilin on the head. 
The Balaturim writes that Tefillin Shel Rosh are alluded to by the words, Shem Hashem Nikra. Shem Hashem Nikra. We have the three letters. Shem is the beginning letter, Shin. Hashem is a Yud. Nikra is a Nun. So we have the word Shin. If you look at Tefillin Shel Rosh, which is the one that's visible, because generally the Tefillin Shel Yad we have covered, the Tefillin Shel Rosh has on it, on the two sides, a Shin and another Shin. He says, Rabbeinu Bachya, that this reference of Shem Hashem Nikra is a reference to the Shin. And he says it's a halacha from Moshe from Sinai. And the Pasuk says that all the people on earth are going to see what? The Shin. And that's why they're going to be in awe of you. So it's worthwhile to focus on the questions raised by some of the commentaries. What's the unique feature of Tefillin Shel Rosh? which instills fear and awe in the other nations, more so than the Tefillin Shel Yad. Why do the other nations fear specifically this letter Shin that's on the Tefillin? And where do we find the name Havaya, the Yud, the K, the Vav, and K, where do we find that more alluded to in Tefillin Shel Rosh than the Tefillin Shel Yad, so that the rabbis say in the Gemara that the name of Hashem is upon you, is referring to the Tefillin Shel Rosh. The Megalea Mukot, he, he looks at Rabbi Eliezer's statement in the Gemara. He also says, this is referring to the Tefillin Shel Rosh. And he's going to explain it in a beautiful way. He says, based on the Gemara, the letter Shin of Tefillin is mandated by Halacha Torah Moshe Misinai. So we have the Shin on each side. And it's interesting, if you read how the Shin evolved, Originally, it, it basically was three arms and the bayit itself was the bottom. And the other side was four arms and the bayit itself. And then it evolved into a more complete letter. But originally, it looks like it was basically three arms coming up. Three arms coming up or three heads coming up on the side. So now the leather on the side of the tefillin has to protrude with the shin on each side. Should we get it to show? So we can see a pair of tefillin so, we, uh, yeah, get, bring one of the big ones. The, the, okay? So we can see the, the, the shin on the two sides. So the, the, the shin is protruding on the two sides. While, while, and one shin has, like we said, three arms. And one shin has four arms. Oh, you've got little ones. No problem. Okay, let's see. These are good. So here, I don't know if we're going to be able to see in the little camera, but let's try. So here's the tefillin shil rosh, and one side has the sheen. Could you see the reflection? And the other side has a sheen with four arms. Got it. Okay. So keep that in mind. So he's saying that what are they afraid of? The same way that we said from Rabbeinu Bachya, they're afraid of the sheen. He's saying they're afraid of the Shin. Rabbeinu Bachya goes and he says, what is so special about the Shin? He says, when we read the alphabet in the reverse order, we have something called Atbash. So the Aleph relates to the Taf, the Bet relates to the Shin, the Gimel relates to the Resh. He says that we take the name of Hashem, the Yud, the K, the Vav, the K, and we compare it in Atbash. We have the letters Mem Tzadi, Mem Tzadi, and the numerical value of those four letters, the Atbash of Havaya, of the Yudke Vavke, is 300, which is the equivalent to the letter Shin. 300. 
He says also the letter Shin is written in larger than normal script at the beginning of Shir Hashirim, Shir Hashirim of Shlomo. He also says something interesting. He says if you calculate 365 days in a solar year, and you take out the Shabbats, and you take out the holidays, you have 300 days of the year when we put on Tefillin. He goes further. He says, if you look deeply into the significance of the letter Shin, you find that it's an allusion to the Shekhinah, a manifestation of the presence of Hashem. He says again, the letter Shin of the foreheads, the foreheads is an allusion to the Shekhinah, which circles the globe. He talks about the four directions. He talks about the 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 uh, the chariot of uh, the chariot in the vision of uh, of, of Yeshayahu. And he continues with more allusions to the tefillin, the letter Shin. And we could all see, if anyone wants to look at Rabbeinu Bachia, you could see Rabbeinu Bachia from the Perasha on this pasuk. The Megaleh Amukot explains the significance of these two Shins. In his Sefer on Va'echanan, he explains at length a beautiful story from the Gemara. There's a story, and it's funny, I told my grandchildren the story. Sometimes I tell my grandchildren stories and I tell them like I was there. Right? So I told them when I was a little boy... This is what happened. I said, Rav, Rav, uh, there was a certain rabbi, his name was Rav Yaakov. His father was Rav Acha, Rav Acha Bar Yaakov. So his father was Yaakov, the father, so the grandfather was Yaakov, the grandson's Yaakov, the, the father's Rav Acha. And his father sent the son to Abaye to study. When the son came home, he saw that his son's studies weren't very sharp. And uh, he was concerned. So Rav Acha Bar Yaakov said to his son, listen, if you're not focusing on studying, I'll tell you what we're going to do. You stay here, you run the business, and I'm going to leave, and I'm going to go study in the yeshiva. And so they traded places. So the father went, Abaye heard that Rav Acha is coming to study in the yeshiva, and he was very happy. Why? Now the yeshiva was located a little bit outside of town, somewhat in the boonies. And what happened was this yeshiva was occupied by a certain demon, a seven-headed dragon. Tell my grandson, there was a seven-headed dragon in the Beth Midrash. And this dragon was so powerful that even when two people, this demon was so powerful, now normally a demon can only attack one person alone, even two people together, the demon would attack them in the Beth Midrash. And normally a demon only attacks in the, it's called mazikin, only attacks at night. And according to the Gemara, this demon attacked even during the day. Abaye said to the people of town, Rav Acha is coming. Nobody invite him to sleep over your house. He won't have anywhere to go. He's going to get stuck and he's going to have to sleep alone in the Beth Midrash. So I told my grandson, I was a little boy, I decided I wanted to see what's going to happen. So I hid under the bench to see what's going to happen with Rav Acha and the demon inside the Bet Midrash. Now remember, my grandson's five years old. He's looking at me, oh, wow, what happened? Okay, So Rav Acha, so what happens? Rav Acha has to go to sleep. He goes to sleep on one of the benches in the Bet Midrash. And, he, and, Rav, and, and, and it's interesting because Abaye says, this guy's a Sadiq. Perhaps a miracle is going to come. He's going to be able to get rid of the demon for us. Now you really can't depend on a miracle and some of the commentaries say, well, he didn't think the guy with the demon would be able to hurt him. It's interesting, the comments on the, the, the whole Gemara. 
So Rav Acha, he had no place to sleep. He comes to the bed midrash. I'm hiding underneath the bed, to, the underneath the bench, to see what's going on. All of a sudden, Rav Acha falls asleep, and all of a sudden, he hears something. He wakes up, and the seven-headed demon is going to attack him. Fire-breathing dragons, each of the heads, the tongue coming out, and he's going to get him. And all of a sudden, Rav Acha bows to Hashem, and he says, Hatsileni na Hashem. And all of a sudden, I tell my grandson, one of the heads of the dragon, boom, dies. Now the dragon doesn't understand. He got six heads going, one head just died. He's very upset, and the, and he's coming after the rabbi, and the rabbi jumps again, Hatsileni na, please save me, Hashem, please save me. Another of the heads die. And again, the dragon's upset. Now two heads are dead. He does it two more times and two more heads. Now there's three heads left in the middle and the three heads are going to come after him with the other two heads floating on the sides. And they come after the rabbi. And the rabbi says, please, Hashem, Hatzileni, now he bows down to Hashem, please save me another. And again, Hatzileni, now Hashem, please save me and another. Now there's one head in the middle. And I tell my grandson, and all of a sudden, the, 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 the demon sees me under the bench and the one head that's left starts to come after me. And so my grand says, what'd you do? Did you pray and bow? I said, I don't know if it's going to work by me. He says, what'd you do? I said, the rabbi created out to Hashem. And all of a sudden, the dragon died. He wanted to know, how do we get it out of the Bet Midrash? Where did you bury it? Could we go look at it? Could we see it? And what's the story? But the bottom line, a miracle happens. The Gemara says, and Rav he kills the, the dragon. Now Rabbi Ha is very upset. He comes to Abaye. He goes, you knew there was a demon in here and you sent me to sleep there alone. Why did you do that? He says that, well, Rabbi Ha, Abaye said, yeah, I, knew, I knew you would be able to take care of the, of the subject. The Megalea Mukot explains, why did Abaye think and know that Rabbi Ha could take care of it? And he says, Rabbi Ha is called Rabbi Ha Ben Yaakov. And he says, just like Yaakov was able to defeat Esav in a similar manner, and he explains in detail. In Pashat Vayishlach, we see. So remember after we had in Vayishlach, we have Esav is coming to meet Yaakov and his family. Yaakov sends the gifts ahead. And as Yaakov is approaching his brother, the two camps are coming to meet. It says, he, he passed in front of them. It seems from the wording of the Pasuk that Yaakov passed in front of his own camp. And he bowed down to the ground seven times until he met his brother. And then remember the story. He kissed Rav Shimon Bayerachai, who's really, uh, he says it's something unbelievable. He says they really kissed Esav at that moment, loved him. The Zohar Kadosh asks a question. How did Yaakov Avinu bow down to Esav? Wasn't he transgressing the prohibition, don't bow down to a, another god? And the Zohar Kadosh says, no. He says, you should understand what the Pasuk is saying. Vehu avad lifnehem. Vehu avad. Who's vehu avad? Who is who? Who is Hashem? Hashem passed between them, before them, and Yaakov was actually bowing to Hashem. So what did Yaakov in essence do? He bowed down to Hashem how many times? Seven times. Seven times. Because these words the Zohar says could be interpreted that he bowed to Hashem. Yaakov bowed down before Hashem. He wasn't bowed down in front of Esav. And said, why did Hashem see fit to pass before them? And the Gemara goes and explains. 
שבע שמות יש לו ליצר הרע. ויצר הרע has seven names. Seven names of the Yetzir Hara have. They represent the seven forces of Tum'ah. Elsewhere, the Gemara says, there are seven Sheva, there are seven chambers of Gehina. They were designed to punish the Reshaim. They, the, those were the ones who listened to the Yetzir Hara. So it relates, we have seven names of the Yetzir Hara, seven names of the Samachmem, and seven chambers of Gehina. And there's a distinct form of Tuvah, seven different forms of Tum'ah related to the Yetzir Hara. So when Yaakov is encountering Esav, and remember, he fought the wrestling match against the angel of Esav. The angel Esav is connected to the Samach Mem, the Yetzir Hara. Hashem passed in front of Yaakov seven times in order for Yaakov to bow seven times. And each time Yaakov bowed in front of Hashem, he weakened one of the seven forces of Tum'ah associated with Esav. So Rav Acha learned this tactic from Yaakov Avinu. He bowed down seven times to Hashem to kill the seven-headed demon, just as his forefather Yaakov Avinu did to weaken the forces of Tum'ah of Esav. We also learn in the Gemara, that the name of a person affects his character and his essence. And thus, Rav Achab Bar Yaakov alludes to the fact that he received the power to vanquish the seven-headed demon from Yaakov Avinu. And this is why Abaye relied on the fact that he's going to be successful, that Rav Achab will be able to be successful. He's Rav Achab Bar Yaakov. He's the son of Yaakov. He will be able to take care just like Yaakov took care of Esav. The Megale Amukhor adds something beautiful. He says after Yaakov bows down to Esav seven times and he's offering him his gifts, what does Esav say? Yeshli Rav Achi. I have much, my brother. But see how we're going to translate and look at these words. He saw how successful Yaakov was in subduing the Tum'ah by breaking down, by bowing down to Hashem seven times. So what did he say? He said something prophetically. He says, Yeshli Ravachi, do you have Ravacha in the future? Not only are you the one who's going to be able to break the forces of Tum'ah, Ravacha is going to be able to do the same thing. Yeshli Ravach. That's He says the same. So Esav is giving a prophetic vision that there's going to come a rabbi who's going to be able to do the same thing. We also see that Shlomo HaMelech writes in Mishle, Ki sheva yipol sadiq vakam. Seven times the sadiq is going to fall and get up. What is he saying? He's saying, how is the sadiq going to be successful? By bowing seven times, the sadiq is successful. I thought of something, you know, we're in this period of time, we have the, the we have silichot. So we've already been saying silichot for a couple of weeks. Our, our brothers, the Ashkenazim, are going to begin Saturday night with Selichot. And in Selichot, we have Vayavod five times. We also have Vayavod in our prayers on Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday, Sunday. We have Vayavod in Shachrit once, and we have Vayavod in Mincha once. So on a regular day, separate of Monday and Thursday, we have seven times we bow in Vayavod during the, the time of the year that we say Selichot. Monday, Thursday, we have another three. But seven times at least every day we're bowing during Elul, during Aseret Yimei Teshuvah, in order to do what? 
to break the power of the dark side. This is one of the aspects of Selichot. So, Kisheva Yipol Sadiq Vakam. Seven times he's going to go down and come up. And it's interesting because this relates to the Nachash. The Nachash, the, sna- the serpent, the snake from Gan Eden. What happens? Hashem tells the Nachash, who? Yeshofech Rosh. He's going to pound on your head. He's telling the snake that Adam, man, is going to pound on your head. He's going to smash the seven heads of the Nachash by bowing down seven times. Rabbeinu Ari, he teaches us in Sha'ar HaPesukim on Parshat Vayigash that Yaakov Avinu was a Gilgul of who? Adam HaRishon, we said many times. And he says that the face of Yaakov was the face of, of Adam HaRishon. We, we said the story with the angels. And we know as a consequence of the Nachash's duplicity, Adam HaRishon and all creatures were sentenced to die. So Hashem is implying to the Nachash, He, Adam, man, will smash your head when Adam HaRishon reincarnates as Yaakov Avinu, then he's going to avenge what you've done and he's going to smash the head of the Nachash, of the Satan, of the Samach Mem, of the servant of, of, of the angel of, uh, of Esav by bowing down seven times. Let's go back to Megalam Wukot. Based on what we discussed, he goes on to explain the Gemara in Shabbat where it mentions the Pasuk from Tehillim. It says there, Lo yiyeh becha el zar. There should be no foreign god. And you should not bow down to an alien god. It says, what foreign god exists in man's body? You should say it's the Yetzir Hara. And he goes on to explain, what is El-Zar? El-Zar is the god of Zion Resh. What's Zion Resh? Zion is seven Rosh, seven heads. Who's the El-Zar? The Satan who represents the seven forces of Tumah. So we tell the story about the mazikin, the demon, with this physical. But the reality is, what is the demon? It's representing the seven forces of Tum'ah. That's what we have to overcome, the seven forces of Tum'ah. The Megalea Mokot then explains, why is the Shin on the Tefillin, one side is four and one side is three? Because each of the arms has on the top of it a head. There are seven heads of the Tefillin, Three heads from the, the shin of three, four heads of the shin of four. And he says these seven heads together weaken what we call Elzar, the god of Zion Rosh, of seven heads, which is Elzar, which is the angel of Zion Rosh, which is the dark side, which is the Satan. We go back to the Pasuk. That the nations of the world are going to see the name of Hashem is on you. They're going to be afraid of you. Elu tefillin shebarosh. We said these are the tefillin shebarosh that Rabbi Eliezer referred to. Rabbi Nubachia, we said, Shem Hashem ikra, Shin Yud Nun. This is the Shin. They're going to fear the Shin. And this is what Rabbi Yaakov Baracha, he bowed the seven times in order to defeat each of the levels of Tum'ah, in order to defeat the Mazikim. David HaMelech writes, Sarim redafuni. He says that princes pursued me. And then he says, Sas anochi al ratecha. He says, I'm, a, I'm so joyous over your words. It says, Sarim redafuni, Rabbeinu Hari. He writes in Sha'ara Pesukim. What is Sarim? 
he writes, it's a sar. We say the sar of Mitzrayim, the angel of Mitzrayim. We refer to the sar of each of the nations. What's a sar? Shiva rosh, seven heads. Each sar, the negative force that comes to attack us is an aspect of the seven heads. And what does David HaMelech say? Sas anochi. The word sas is sin sin, two shins. The same two shins that are on top of the head of the tefillin, that's the same two shins. And David HaMelech is saying sas anochi, with the power of the two shins, that's what I'm going to be able to be joyous because I'm going to be able to overcome. He says, and, and there's another story the Gemara says, Abaye is sitting with Rabbah. And Rabbah notices that Abaye is very, very happy. And, and Rabbah says, Abaye, aren't you supposed to limit your happiness? Shouldn't, be, shouldn't it be with trepidation? And Abaye says, no, I'm wearing tefillin, sas anochi. I could be joyous because I have the two sheens on my head. The two sheens embossed on the tefillin shel rosh. This is why Abaye is so happy. He's wearing tefillin. It causes him to be happy. These refer to David HaMelech, Sas Anochi. That's what David is saying when he's saying Sas Anochi. I'm joyous. Why? I have the tefillin on my head. And with the tefillin on my head, I'm able to subdue the negative forces, the seven negative forces in this world. And therefore, the nations of the world are going to see them and I could rejoice. Rashid Chochmah brings down in the name of the Midrash, he brings a pasuk, This is when Yaakov is going to wrestle with the angel. He's alone by himself. We discuss this pasuk so many times. We said the dust of the earth, they wrestled, but avak is dust. With dust of the earth, the dust of the earth is rising. It says, Our rabbis of, of, of blessed memory, they said, that the Satan wanted to kill Yaakov Avinu. And he didn't have the strength. Because Yaakov Avinu He says that Yaakov Avinu has tefillin and has sisit. Whether it's actually he's wearing or whether it's the zechut of the tefillin that his children are going to wear. He says, but this is what it means, which we mentioned last week. The angel says he's not able to overcome him. Yaakov saw, he saw that Yaakov, he says, he saw, he's not able to overcome him. We discussed this week, the law, last week, law and law, Lamid Vav, Lamid Aleph, Elul. Lamid Vav, Lamid Aleph, these are the letters, Aleph, Lamid Vav, Lamid Elul. That's what he saw that he's going to overcome in Elul. But going further, this we're going to look at it this week's Vayavik Ishimo. Who's he fighting with? He's fighting with who? The guardian angel of Esav. We said the Yetzer Hara has seven appellations, seven names corresponding to the seven forces of Tumah. Yaakov adorns himself on some level with Talit and Tefillin to defeat the guardian angel of Esav with the two shins of the Tefillin Shel Rosh. Going further, we're going to try to explain why the name Havaya, the Yud, the K, the Vav, K, is associated more with the Tefillin Shel Rosh. All the people of earth are going to see the name Havaya is proclaimed on you. Rabbi Eliezer, we said, said this is Tefillin Shel Rosh. The Admor, the Sar Shalom of Bells, he says something beautiful. After Yaakov received the brachot from Yitzchak, it's written, what happens? Yaakov comes, dresses up, takes the brachot, runs away, 
And then Esav comes from the, with the food to his father Yitzchak. And Yitzchak says, oh my gosh, I already blessed the other guy. He realizes it was Yaakov. What does Esav do? But Yomir Esav el Aviv. Esav says to his father, You only have one blessing, daddy. Please, daddy, bless me also. What is he saying? We discussed also before. The gematria of the name Yitzchak is 208. And we said, who named Yitzchak? Says that Hashem named Yitzchak. Hashem told Abraham to name him Yitzchak. Yitzchak is laughing, but what's the gematria of Yitzchak? 208. What's 208? Yitzchak is the first one to have a circumcision, the Brit Milah, on what? The eighth day. We take the Shem Havaya, Yud Dekei, the Vav Dekei, is 26. 26 times 8 is 208. This is the name Yitzchak. Yitzchak is eight times Shem Hashem, eight times Havaya. Says Yaakov Avinu is one eighty two, one eighty two. Who told who told Yitzchak to name him Yaakov? It says he named him Yaakov. The Mefarshim say this was Hashem naming him Yaakov. Yaakov is one eighty two. What's one eighty two? Seven times twenty six. So what's Esav saying, Daddy? You have eight times Shem Havaya by you. Yitzchak Yaakov has seven times. So you gave him seven. Isn't there one blessing left over, Daddy? Eight minus seven is one. Isn't there one blessing left over for me? Bless me too. But why would Yitzchak only give seven brachot to Yaakov? If you remember, Victor wrote a beautiful article on this last year. It says that Yitzchak, he says that there's an eighth, the eighth Havaya. This is what Esav is, is begging for. There's seven he has. Give me the extra one. Isn't there one blessing for me? Give me the extra Havaya. The Yerushalmi says sometimes we don't understand something in one place, but we could understand it from something else. If we see the Panim Yafot in Vayishlach, it refers to Zohar Kadosh in Pasha Terumah. And it teaches us that every Jew must strive to serve Hashem with all seven Midot from the realm of Kedushah. Of these, David HaMelech said, Sheva Bayom, seven times a day, Hilachticha, I praise you. He says, that's what he's talking about. These are the seven aspects of a person's personality. He has to direct all seven towards Kedusha. We see in Kohelet, Gam et zeh, leumat zeh asahalukim. This against this did Hashem do. So just as in the realm of Kedusha, Emanating from Yaakov Avinu, the seven midot, these correspond to the seven aspects of the of the dark side, the seven against the seven. Also, we see in the Sefarim teach us based on the Zohar Kadosh that the forces of evil that oppose the forces of Kedusha, how do they survive? How does the force of evil survive? The Goyim think evil is independent. It's an independent force fighting with God, so to say. Chas shalom. Everything we say emanates from Hashem. Even the dark side, even the Satan is a servant of Hashem, getting his nourishment from where? From the realm of Kedushah. Seeing as HaKadosh Baruch Hu is the one and only true force in the universe, it's impossible for anything to exist without receiving its sustenance from Hashem. 
the Nitzotzei HaKodesh, the Nitzotzei Kiddushah, the sparks of holiness that fell into the hands of the forces of Tumah, that's what sustains them. And that's what's going to continue to sustain them until the time of the final Geulah. At that time, HaKadosh Baruch is going to deprive them of that sustenance. That's the whole idea of Hashem coming in and slaughtering the Yetzir Hara. It says, it says, that's when it's going to come back. That's when it's going to return. And that's the eight times Havaya referred to as Yitzchak. Since Yaakov personified the seven Midot of Kiddushah, it was fitting that he would get the seven levels of Havaya. This is the reason the Gematria of Yaakov is seven times Havaya. In contrast, the wicked Esav personified the seven Midot of the Klippah. As such, he didn't deserve a bracha from the seven times Havaya. Yet in order to exist, even Esav requires sustenance of the Kiddushah. Otherwise, he vanishes completely prior to the scheduled eradication at the time of the Geulah. Therefore, one Havaya remained with Yitzchak, which was necessary to sustain Esav. The Panim Yafot writes a beautiful allusion. He says, we see it in the names Yaakov and Esav. The name Yaakov, we said, is 182, is the seven times Havaya. The name Esav, on the other hand, reflects the fact that he personified the seven Midot of Tumah. But he was stained by, he was sustained by one Havaya. So we take the gematria of the word Tameh, Tet, Mem, Aleph, equals, Tet is nine, Mem is 40, Aleph is one, equals... 50. 50 times 7 is 350. We add to the 350 one times Havaya to support Esav is 376. Gematria of Esav. Ayin 70. Shin 300. Vav 6. So Yaakov is 7 times Havaya. Esav is 7 times Tameh plus 1 Havaya. And this explains very nicely Esav's request to his father. Don't you have one beracha left for me? You gave the seven to Yaakov. Still, still, daddy, bless me too, father, so that the one Havaya from the realm of Kiddushah will nourish me and it'll allow me to exist. Otherwise, I'm no more. Based on this, we learn from the Panim Yafot. We could shed some light on the statement of the Gemara. It says, the venom of the Nachash, Ben Shinav Huomeh. The venom of the Nachash is between its teeth. Between its teeth. I think of this also, we say about the Rasha, that what should we do? Knock out the teeth. What's the whole idea of the teeth? The, the venom of the Nachash is between its teeth. The Vilna Gaon, the Gra, he says something unbelievable. She'en Nachash, he quotes the Midrash. She'en Nachash Mamit, the Nachash doesn't kill. The, the sin is the thing that kills. The Gura is providing us with a beautiful illusion. He says the middle letters of the two words, Nachash and Satan, what are they? The middle letter of Nachash is a Chet. The middle letter of Satan is a Tet. What's a Chet and a Tet together? Chet. Sin. Where does it come? Between the Shen. Between the Satan, Shin, Chet, Nun, between the Shen, the tooth, and between Nachash, Nun, Chav, Shin, get rid of the Chav, you have again a Shin and a Nun. Between the Shen, what lies there? What lies there is the, is, is the sin. 
this is the meaning of the venom of the snake lies between the shen. This is what's called the chet. This is the chet that lies. So we still have to understand the significance of the letters shen that surround the letters chet. Nachash, Satan. It says, based on this, we could suggest the letter Shen alludes to the gematria of seven times Tameh. Shin Nun is what? 350. Seven times Tameh. And that's the forces of the dark side. The sustenance, however, comes from where? From the sins of B'nai Israel. Thus, the letters Chet, which is in between, is what gives power to the 350 to continue. And this is what we see in Tehillim. It says in Tehillim, Baruch Hashem Shelo Netananu Teref Lishneem. Blessed Hashem who doesn't give food, who doesn't give prey between their teeth. This is the, the chet between the shen of Nachash and Satan. The Sefarim teach us that our primary task is to grab the sparks of Kedusha. They lie in the domain of Klipot. The Toldot Yaakov Yosef writes, we know the main purpose of all our service in Torah, tefillah, intent of the mitzvot, kavanah when eating, is to refine and elevate the nitzotzeh kodesh that are in the depths of the Kalipa. Seeing as the eighth Havaya, which sustains the wicked Esav, which sustains the dark side, which sustains the Samach Mem, it represents the spark of Kedushah that falls into the realm of the Kalipa, it's incumbent upon us to extract from him and return it to the Kedusha. In truth, as long as we're not meriting the complete Geulah, it's not totally within our power to pull all this Havaya from Esav. Le'atid Lavo, Hashem's going to help us and we could pull it out. And that's why we say every day when we pray, we have to remember that, that we have to remember that what do we want to do? He says that, that, that we want to see with our own eyes that the Havaya returned to Sion. Israel is going to witness that even the name Havaya, that a sustained Esav, will return to the realm of Kiddushah. This is what we say every day, like we said in the Pasuk, that all the people of the world are going to be able to see Shem Hashem Ikvah. These are the two shins of the, of the tefillin. This is the seven aspects of Kiddushah to overcome the seven aspects of Tumah. This is the way to overcome Esav. And what do we have to remember? Says, we have to get the Hashem, this Hashem, this Havaya, we have to bring back to the Melucha. And how do we get it? We have to get it back from the side of Esav. This is our job to collect the sparks that fell into the dark side to raise them up day by day in every aspect that we do. We have to remember that we have this aspect of the Kiddushah, the seven levels that are connected to our tefillin. We wear the tefillin. These are what the Goyim fear. They fear as long as they know that the tefillin is not just on the Rosh, but Sheba Rosh is in the head. It's not just having it, but it's knowing what it is. It's having the Kavanah. It's having the Kavanah to remember that we're an army of Hashem. We're Hashem's servants. We're Hashem's people. We have entry into the inner side of the, of the palace. We have entry where we want to go. We're in the time of Elul. We don't even have to struggle to get there. Hashem is here. He's here with us waiting and saying, come. Come to me. Be part of me. It's a tremendous opportunity that we have. 
And we should take this opportunity and, and we should take this opportunity and be successful. We should be blessed with a year of health and happiness, a year of success, a year of, of, of wonderful things for us. We should say, We should end the year in its curses. We should begin the year in its blessings. I want to wish everyone Next week, so this is really, I think, the last class that we're going to have before, because next Wednesday we're not, and then we have all the holidays. But what we're going to do is we're going to post uh, each week, we're going to post the class to the... The podcast, what is it? To the to Apple Pod, whatever, all the podcasts. So everyone could be able to uh, to listen to the classes each week. And uh, Chantel also wants to wish everybody a happy, healthy year. Thank you everyone for joining us each week. We'll see you after the holidays and we'll speak to you. At least you'll be able to hear us each week. Let's see if I could open this. Uh, got it. Okay. Thank you, Rabbi David. Thank you, Cheryl. So happy you joined. Always a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks, Good Leon. Back. Is that good, Leon? Oh, would you please send the link to the The link for what? For this class. Send the link so we can. I can. Yeah, yeah. We'll we'll, we'll send you. God willing, uh, we'll send you the video of this tomorrow as soon as Jessica sends it, and the link you'll have. Uh, if you you have to you have to get a podcast uh, something, uh, Leon. That'll help. <laughs> I don't know how to do podcasts. <laughs> That's it. Next time we see you, we'll set it up. <laughs> I'm a podcast leader. Have a um, and a good a good and a good topic. Thank Amen. So Thanks so much, everyone. Shabbat shalom. Be well. Shabbat shalom. Because I, I don't have Apple. I have Android. Can I do it on that? Yeah, yeah. Android. You have Spotify. You have. Uh, uh, Alexa, you could do it on uh, app, Amazon Music. There's so many things. We'll show you. Okay, good. Very good. Yes, Thanks, Perry. And I hope I hope you did not have any problems uh, on Sunday with the with the rain and the ocean. Thank God it was. Uh, we were blessed and uh, we prepared for it, but it was uh, was all fine over here. It was very scary for everybody, I know. Be well. Any questions, no problem. You could always ask. Be well, guys.